Sometimes life feels out of our control. We get stuck in trauma, old patterns, and change feels out of reach. Sometimes it feels like fate. We want to help you break out of old, unhelpful patterns and become healthier. We're fate resilience, taking control of the outcome. With licensed therapists, Jennifer Oxford, Taylor Madsen, Haley Mayer. We're going to start going through all the emotions. Well, not all the emotions. We're going to go through some emotions one at a time. Let's talk about sadness today. Because <laughs> that's well, a real place quick, to start. I want to talk about why we go through emotions. And, and we will probably touch this at the beginning is, is that as we learn to label emotions, that we can process them and release them. And so as we talk about sadness today, the goal is for you to be able to recognize it, acknowledge it and process it rather than stored in your body as trauma. And be aware of what sadness tells us Mm -hmm. sadness tells us we've lost something it tells us something that was important to us too right it tells us that there was some sort of importance labeled to the thing that we're feeling sadness towards so it teaches us what we value and Mm -hmm. can teach us where our wounds are yeah i think it's interesting some of the early messages about sadness that maybe we receive is that sadness is bad or that wrong or needs to be resolved very quickly mm-hmm. has to be contained. Oh, contained is a good word. Yeah. yeah. It's the original, like, Oh, don't be sad. Right. Like, Oh, don't be sad to like babies and toddlers and things like that. Rather than being like, Oh, you're sad. Okay. I don't need to like hype it up, but I also don't need to. Cause I think I also see the other opposite almost now where parents are almost saying you're sad. Let's sit in it together and just, keep being in it it's the idea of okay you've recognized the emotion now let's talk about what's going on instead of just kind of staying in that almost victimizing mode right right so we want to find a balance between running away from the sadness or trying to contain it too quickly and leaning in and living there yeah right and then i think um so let's talk about that a little bit and then we can talk about what depression looks like and how that's a little bit different Mm -hmm. so with the idea of containing sadness, Taylor, do you want to talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah, it looks like um, you can only be sad for this amount of time or in this location or both. So if someone dies, obviously we've lost someone. We're going to feel sadness. Grief, we, we're going to use those. I'm going to use those probably interchangeably today. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we're at the funeral. Be sad. Definitely be seen being sad by other people. Okay, the funeral is over. Like, hey, you know, life goes on. You got to get over it. Um, Your sadness is making me uncomfortable. Or if you're sad for longer than whatever period of time a week, then I'm a bad parent or I'm not a good friend and I have to fix it. And so uh, we say things like, you just don't have enough faith in God or you wouldn't be sad. Or <laughs> that wasn't quite a strong reaction. <laughs> yeah, as as you said that, I just, I, I feel really powerful that this idea that sadness is bad or that it should be walked away from is really, really damaging to people. Sadness is something that if you sit with it, and so we move away from shying away from it, sit with it and say, you know what? It's okay. I'm sad that I lost this person if we go into grief, or I'm sad that I lost a relationship, right? Or I'm sad that a time of my life is over right now, you know, it's graduation. So a lot of people are excited about graduating, but then too, that is a period of your life that you might grieve and feel some loss around. 
yeah, that bittersweet feeling comes from this is an excellent milestone. I've worked hard for this. That bitter part is that grief, that loss of this ending. I did not do sadness for a significant period of my life. Sad song on the radio? No. Sad story? No. Sad movies? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was what we would call tightly calibrated. So if you think about an instrument, you calibrate it for sensitivity. I had zero tolerance. I was very tightly calibrated for sadness. I was uh, a robot. <laughs> there you go. So glad you've come into your human form now. Yeah, it was a rough transition. <laughs> <laughs> as, as it would be. <laughs> I also feel like with sadness, it's so often people don't have the boundaries for it. And so it goes so deep so quickly in a lot of situations where having some sadness is okay, but we automatically go into the deep end with it sometimes, like we're saying with grief. And it's about learning, like I can have a boundary of like, I can be sad, but I don't have to go into that deep end. And I think especially like sad music, you look at movies, like one of the saddest movies, I love it, but it's one of the saddest movies. Have you ever seen Sarah's Key? No. Okay. It's about the Holocaust. It's like a really sad movie, obviously, because of what's going on with that. Not a comedy. Not a comedy. No. And it's a very deep thinking movie as well. And it is one of the like most sad movies that I like sad, but I also know like, and I, again, I love that movie, but I know that that is just way too deep for me. A lot of the times that I am not comfortable with that. So it's also about finding like where we feel like we fit with the whole sad grief situation. And I think sometimes it, feels like if I open up that door, I'm just going to all of a sudden, like completely have to jump into the deep end. And unfortunately that's not what sad needs to be about. That's not how we have to go through it. But I feel like, especially like music, different movies. I see a lot of, you know, teenagers or younger adults who really like the sad stuff. Like I noticed they kind of open up that door and they're all just like cannonballing into the deep end about like how awful and sad and things like that. And, but then they don't really have a way to regulate <laughs> And as you're saying that, I'm thinking that they're actually moving from sad to hopeless. Yes. Right. And so then that is not the same thing. Yeah. And that, that sadness is about, again, acknowledging a loss, acknowledging pain or hurt, Mm -hmm. right. That might've happened and being able to fill that emotion. And while I also do not like really sad movies, I feel like it is a very, I'm going to use the word sacred experience to sit with somebody in their grief as a therapist, you know, when they need to express that sadness, being in present with them so that they can feel it and they can breathe through it and that it might come in a couple waves. I think that's interesting if you're really processing sadness versus running or diving deep into it, Mm -hmm. that it comes in that waveform in your body and in your tears And then moving into this place where you can say, okay, what, one of my favorite questions to know whether the sadness is getting fully processed is, can we find the wisdom in the sadness? Mm -hmm. Which is really important. So sadness tells us that I've lost something and sadness will push us to grieve. It's like you were saying, Jenna, it will push us to cry. It will push us to connect with our body and it will usually push us for connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually really like sad movies now. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I like swimming, I'll go and swim for an hour. I'll go and watch a sad movie for you know two hours or whatever, and then I'll come out of it and I won't linger in it, which is the difference, like what you were talking about, Haley, where I'm yeah. now just living there. Yeah, I think it's like the divine agony of sadness. That was kind of especially with when we worked with, you know, higher, extremer emotional issues. That was something I often saw was the agony and the beauty of the agony. And it's 
there is something that's beautiful about a natural occurring acne that happens not in like a weird way, but in a way, yeah, there's something about being able to go through the whole range of emotions and have it be that extreme. There's something that's amazing about that, but having yourself repetitively saying that's the only way to experience it, then that's not really allowing yourself to enjoy all the nuances of it. That's generally where we cross the line into a mental health concern. Yes. Sadness Mm -hmm. is more temporary Mm -hmm. and the divine agony or narcissistic love for the torment itself. Kind of yours. That's like where depression or another kind of mental health concern is is where we've crossed that line. And I think it's important to recognize that when sadness is staying around, one of the defining facts for a depressive state, right, which is where we're going more mental health concerns, is the time frame. Right. So a sad episodes that last seven to 10 days, that's actually considered a depressive episode for somebody. And when you re are reoccurring that and typically anywhere from six weeks to six months that, that you're having that reoccurring depressive episode is when we start looking at, is this a mood disorder versus just a sadness that, that you need to process as a human? Yeah. I think that along with that, it's about monitoring what's going on. It's about noticing what the levels are. I think it's okay too. I I had a, I feel like one of my, my favorite sessions with people is when I can tell they have that sadness and they're trying to cover it because they're like, no, I need to be okay. Right. (laughs) And it's, you can always tell underneath though. It's like their eyes. You can tell like their stature of how they're sitting. You can just look and see just their form in general. You can tell there's something underneath and there's that layer. And like one of my favorites is looking at them and being like, cause they're saying like, no, everything's great. Like everything's good. Like I'm fine. Here's a joke. Here's a great remark. You know, let me just try to entertain. Here's distraction. Exactly. Yeah. Great distraction. I know. Yeah. And they can be really good at it. I'm great at it too, but it's, <laughs> it's one of the things, my favorite thing is just to look at them and they're feeding me all this where I'm supposed to be like, yeah, okay. And it's, I just sit there and look at them and say, man, that must, that must really hurt still. And then all of a sudden dropping that and allowing that pure emotion to come out that is often sadness and discomfort in that, but just to be able to have them realize like, Oh, that safe space of being able to see it. I think like, that's one of my favorite things to witness is because it's like, you know, for them, one of the first times they realize they, that the, the facade is not, it's not, not appreciated, but the facade is not like being commented on the most. It's the underlying emotion. Well, and I think part of the gift then we give when we do that, when we, we say we see your hurt or we see your pain or we mm-hmm. see your sadness is that you don't have to take care of us in that moment because that's what the facade is doing. You're trying to take care of me or the other person in the room. And if I've processed my sadness and if I'm actively processing sadness in my life when it occurs, then I'm able to hold place for other people's sadness and it creates more empathy and more space in my relationships and not less, which I think is what people think will happen. Yeah. There's that, uh, that facade can sometimes be that unhealthy containment of sadness, which moves us to toxic positivity, uh, <laughs> which we don't like. <laughs> no. um, sorry. For those of you that couldn't see, we all kind of shuddered a little bit because we, we grieve for you when you have that toxic positivity. Yeah, we grieve for our clients. Um, another example when we grieve for you is um, there's there's complicated grief and there's uncomplicated grief. Uncomplicated grief, for example, would be when someone dies, like we were talking about earlier. It's very black and white. It's very clear cut. Complicated grief 
would be when we have a breakup. Well, and I want to I want to make sure we say that not every death is uncomplicated, too. That's fair. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I want to make sure we clarify that because on time transition. So when grandparents die and they've lived a full life, that tends to be a more uncomplicated grief. Whereas when someone dies by suicide or under mysterious circumstances. Or even just a child's death or, yeah. you know, sudden death of someone who was healthy, those all become complicated griefs. Yes. Yeah. Um, divorce and um, breakups are complicated griefs because someone is still around, but they're choosing not to be with us. Um, as therapists, we experience complicated grief frequently because we really like you <laughs> and then we don't get to be around you. Uh, we're really happy for you. Like, you know, we were talking about that bittersweet of happy that someone graduates. So we're happy that you graduate therapy and you're doing well. And then we grieve that we don't get to see you anymore. And I, this isn't like a feel bad for therapists, but oh, no. I mean, well, I'm going to add on to that though. Just the idea of, I don't think people realize like you come into therapy, you tell us all the most personal, vulnerable, intimate facts of your life. And you go here, help me process this. And we help you process it. We don't fix it, obviously, but we help you go through it. And then you leave. And sometimes we never know if it works. Sometimes we never know what happens. Sometimes. Did you keep up on the plan? Did yeah. You do you, do you feel better? Do you like, is that person you're in a relationship with that's unhealthy? Do you end up finding something better? Right. Or, you know, I'm a friend who it's like, if someone says something awful about one of my friends, if that person comes up to me, I'm like, dude, like boundary, not coming near you because you were kind of awful to my friend. But then as a therapist, you have people who like talk about these people who've done awful things to them. And we're like, man, I'm upset with you. Like that really, that's really difficult. And I think it's sometimes hard, especially with that grief part. Like we're going through that with you too. So by all means, like, it's not anything like we're looking at you and going, okay, you're at it alone. Like we're feeling it with you too. And so at the end of a session, like I've had to tell a couple of my clients before, like, I'm going to need a minute after this too. Like I totally am okay admitting that because this is some pretty heavy stuff. And so I we think all have important. our rituals between sessions to just help us yeah. cleanse the emotional palate as it were. Yeah. <laughs> I won't, I think it's really important to understand that we talked a little bit about delving into kind of that sadness. And a lot of times that comes with isolation mm -hmm. and that actually makes sadness worse, but connecting. And um, one of the ways we process sadness is through connecting with other people, having our sadness and hurt be, be known and seen. And it is again, a, it's a sacred experience for me as a therapist to see that because I know that not everybody gets that, but that everybody needs it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that facade that's not containing the sadness with uh, that becomes toxic positivity is when someone has uh, something that is chronic in their life, whether that's illness, uh, disability, or their life is uh, different moving forward because of divorce or death, you know, fill in the blank along those lines. And then people will want to know that they're doing better despite the fact that life is forever altered now. Like, mm -hmm. hey, you're in a wheelchair, but you're doing better, right? Or, hey, I know that, so for example, I have a disability. I um, have a chronic pain condition. Like, hey, but you don't have a headache today. Like, a, not a headache. Uh, B, doesn't get better. <laughs> so they'll be like, uh, but you're not in pain today, right? Not how it works. Yeah. And this is about how you feel and not about how I feel. So people with chronic conditions, people with disabilities often lie to the people in their lives because they just don't want to deal with it. Unlike us who are your friends who just make fun of your pain. Which is my love language. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll get along. 
Well, we've got a few minutes. I'm wondering, um, so for people who are looking at sadness, what, what are the good steps with it? I guess, what would we say are the good steps of processing through that? Um, I mean, we're always going to say like, you know, go to a therapist because that's usually going to be a really helpful tool if you don't know, but I think just healthy practice. What are some of those? I would start with, with maybe writing down, doing some journaling about just sadness and hurt and just naming some things. Mm -hmm. And once you go to that, my next step, I would say is that check in where you feel it in your body. Right. So if I, um, I experienced, and we're, we're going to talk about more trauma, but I experienced a trauma anniversary this last weekend goes back to that. My body knew what day it was. And, and so it felt sadness. It felt grief over a loss, um, which is normal with anniversaries, which is a hundred percent normal. And I got up in the morning and I tried to pretend like it was a normal day because I didn't know what my sadness needed that day. Not, not because I was necessarily trying to, and you're feeling a tinge of it just remembering now. Yeah, I am. And, but I got up and I got ready for the day and my normal practice on Sundays is to, to go to church and I got ready for church. And then I sat down for a minute and I remember I actually created a post. Um, It was the anniversary of my dad's death. And then I looked at my husband and I said, I'm not going to church today. And I was able to stay present, not wallow in it. I still went through my day, but I was gentle with myself for that day. And then Monday I, I woke up and I actually felt fine because I acknowledged it because I gave it space. Didn't model it. I didn't contain it. Yeah. That I felt better the next day. And as I've learned to do that with my grief or my trauma, when I just acknowledge it, it doesn't stay as round as deeply or as long. Mm-hmm. but it is again, good information. I felt like this, the, all that was is saying, I, I loved the experience I had with my dad and I really appreciate him. And it's okay. If I take time to remember that there's a, a pyramid, if we look at it to address sadness and grief on the bottom of that pyramid is self-care. So see our earlier episode, if you haven't yet, the next of the step pyramid is routine, get a daily routine, uh, a weekly routine. If you don't go to school or work or have any kind of external demands on your time, create them for yourself, create a schedule. And then when that's in place and you're following it, then turn to the things like Jen was saying, you know, start with a coping skill, five to 15 minutes of a coping skill, then journal or something, some kind of outlet, artistic, draw, paint, whatever that looks like collage, movies, movies, reading, um, and then, you know, spend 15 to 60 minutes doing that and close it with a coping skill, five, 15 minutes. So when you start with a coping skill and end with a coping skill, that's called bookending. So if we say that in future episodes, that's what we mean by bookending. That would be the top of the step pyramid. And so if we don't have the self-care in place and the routine opening up that sadness and that grief, we might be unprepared and we don't have a solid foundation for it. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important, important step that was mentioned too, was the writing down and the processing internally. And just to add more to that one, I think I always find it very interesting. A lot of my clients who are starting to learn to feel emotions again and feel like they can express the different types of emotions and know the levels of them. And I think of it at like shades of color, like there's so many different shades of different things and some of them mix with one another and some of them don't. And but you're going to always have a light and dark with each color. And so with the, the sadness color, you know, quote unquote, I think a big part of it too, is especially in those writing processing moments to say like, when did I experience sadness? How was I often met when I experienced sadness growing up? Or how did I see people experiencing sadness? And what do I see as like an example of someone who 
you know, was able to go through that emotion and I felt like they did it in a healthy, authentic way. And what do I feel like is my healthy, authentic way? Like, what are some things to start with? I think like the fact that you get up, you got ready, you know, you're looking at it and then assessing it as you're going. I think that's a big thing because I think a lot of people, they need to know, like, am I the person who needs, if I'm feeling that, do I need to just stay in bed for a minute and do it there? Or am I the person who's like, okay, I'm a person who I need to get up. Personally, I'm also that way. I need to get up. I need to get ready. Just that kind of like taking care of myself moment. And then from there, I assess where I need to go from there. And so I think part of that processing we're talking about, that's a huge part of just also just knowing your history because you're having a relationship with these emotions we're talking about, especially with sadness. It's knowing what do I want my relationship with sadness to be like? I don't want it to be a scary relationship. I don't want it to also be an unhealthy relationship. So like with a person, how would I make this relationship with this emotion into the best possible outlet and best possible way, and then express what I need out of it? Yeah, go watch Inside Out. <laughs> yeah, I I really I love that a that movie is wonderful. Um, and but b I love what Haley said, and I just want to reemphasize that emotions are they are our friends. They are trying to help us. They are not our enemies. And so learning to you know with this episode, learn to hear what way is sadness. Can it become more of your friend and give you information rather than be something that you're avoiding and, and fearing? And, and that's a really powerful question for yourself is, are you allowing sadness to be a friend and an informant rather than a burden? Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Fate Resilience. We'd love to hear from you.